I'm going to have to, there we go. I'm going to have to poke Don and have him make us a theme song for the show. Welcome, right. everybody, to another episode of our Labs Open Office Hour. This week, we're joined by Kelly Shipman. Uh, I think our new, or not any longer our newest Labs member, because now we have Devin behind the scenes. So yep. you, the audience, wanna, I don't think we'll ever get the chance to meet Devin, but uh, no, we keep yeah, but as as i've just learned today you've taken on i knew this was coming but it was just recently happened you've taken on a little bit more mm -hmm. uh you're now taking over uh all of the rendering all of the cool 3d stuff yep. it's not just it's not just 3d stuff yeah which is super exciting because and kind of makes sense they do seem to kind of play together mm -hmm. right yeah yeah so um so I, I guess right off the bat i'm just curious for my own sake um how does that change anything if at all. Uh, it gives me more to do <laughs> on my side. That's the biggest thing Yeah. Um, for Puget in general. It's going to allow William to kind of tackle some additional stuff, not specific software stuff, but he's going to mm -hmm. look more hardware based reviews and stuff. They're going to be really interesting. Mm. Like he did a, an article not too long ago about like comparing different chipsets or oh, yeah. um, comparing, um, like PCI, you know, X16 versus X8 when you're on Gen 4 versus Gen 3 and right. that kind of more granular stuff. Um, that's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah, so as, as a whole, it's going to add a lot more to Puget. Yeah, that'll be cool. Right on. And so lately, um, the the latest things I've been noticing that we've been testing is the, the A6000, the mm -hmm. successor to the... RTX because they dropped the Quadro name. They dropped Quadro, um, and so this is the. Is this like the next generation then? Yeah, so it's basically the the Quadro RTX six thousand slash eight thousand successor. That's what is replacing mm. those two. Okay, um, so and I say those two because they're the same GPU, just different RAM amounts. There's only oh, difference between those two cards. Um, and this, the A6000 has 48 gigs of RAM. Is Dang. that right? That's huge. Like totally forgotten what, <laughs> what it has. I just remember it was a lot. A6000. I don't remember. Yeah. I think it was 48. And that's what the... RTX 8000 had was was 48 Jeez. and the RTX 6000 was 24. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow, big so big steps up. And that mm -hmm. that does make a big difference for uh I know for like some large jobs in mm -hmm. uh things like V-Ray and um yeah. Cinema 4D, I think things like mm -hmm. that, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah, all cool. the 3D packages, you have to be able to store your entire scene, everything you're rendering into VRAM. Wow. Um, they can like push that over into regular RAM, mm -hmm. um, but then you start, it like has a huge performance impact. Oh, snap. Um, okay. Because then it has to then like be fed back through the CPU and mm -hmm. traveling back and forth. And yeah, it's not 
great. So if you right. can store the whole thing in, um, if VRAM is better, some programs will just if you excess if you exceed VRAM, it just won't work. Oh, so wow. Yeah. All right. A lot of Unreal how, stuff will just crash. <laughs> uh, how can you, like, is it, I imagine there must be some way of knowing ahead of time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. you can just open up the system monitor on your computer and mm -hmm. see what uh, VRAM is being used. Um, and it's basically the more stuff you put into the scene, the more VRAM. It's a combination of textures, number of them, how big they are. Um, the 3D models, mm -hmm. how dense the geometry is on them, makes the um, memory increase. Because basically, you have to think about how many vertex are in each piece of geometry. And sure. there's each piece of geometry or each vertex has three coordinates plus the color information and stuff. And you've got millions of them. Like it wow. adds up quickly. Sure. Um, so, all that kind of stuff. That's cool. So, uh, and and so actually, I think I think today's going to be a little exciting for for those of in the audience who follow this sort these sorts of topics because you were just telling me before the stream you have all the data but we haven't published the mm -hmm. articles yet so this very exciting for the folks <laughs> at home because you guys are, are you're going to see it here first on the spot while it's hot uh, so let's let's just jump into it, man. Let's let's see, what, okay. what are we doing? What do we got? Sure, what do we got here. We'll all so start off with Unreal, of course. Because um, mm -hmm. this is the main thing that I focus on is Unreal. It's the the benchmark that we're currently developing, trying to figure out all the nuances that we need on to test and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Um, so for right now, this is just focusing primarily on four um, K um, performance. How um, how basically how the frames per second you can get mm -hmm. um, during like while during you're while you're manipulating it yeah. while you're okay yeah well that and while you like if you were to hit the play button and you start playing a, a scene or whatever okay. um, what you can maintain so this is 4K rasterized meaning not using any ray tracing effects so mm -hmm. just the old school way of doing it um, for real time yeah and you can see. Massive improvement for the A6000. Um, we're looking at what, 80, yeah, 86% faster than the, the RTX 6000. Yeah. Um, and for like a couple hundred bucks more. That's amazing. Um, so yeah, it's, this is nice. Um, it's a huge. It's basically the same performance improvement we saw with 2080 Ti to 3080. It's like that kind of generational gap. So it, it makes sense that we see this kind of increase because it's basically the same thing. It's just the professional um, hardware instead of the, the consumer hardware. Yeah, all right. Um, so yeah, that was a... Oh, that's right. I'm under control of of the <laughs> this part. Um, so yeah, we're not, not terribly surprised with that. Oh, this is a weird screen capture. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Um, it worked better when I had a second monitor because then I could just do the screen instead of the window. But oh, whatever. sure. Um, whoa, whoops, went too far. <gasps> so here, ray tracing. Um, ray tracing starts to have a lot bigger impact on the hardware. Um, it's not just looking at the raw performance of the CUDA cores. It's looking at the ray tracing cores and the all the other stuff that's going on. Yeah. So we're still seeing a 60% improvement 
still like a good improvement for you know just a little bit more money than mm -hmm. the RTX 6000. Um, I should step back a little bit for Unreal. Very few people on Unreal will want this A6000 or any Quadro card. Um, you're looking at people that need Quadro or whatever this is now that's no longer Quadro. <laughs> right. They dropped it for some reason. Um, they need that card for stuff other than its its raw performance. Okay. Its raw performance is kind of a secondary thing. Um, for Unreal, you're looking at architecture uh, people who need Quadro for their other software programs, for the CAD, mm. for all that other simulation stuff that they're doing. Yeah. And they just want to be able to render something in Unreal. So they want to make sure they're still getting good performance. Um, or virtual production people who need to use a Quadro sync card to be able to sync their LED wall with their camera and the renderer so mm -hmm. everything is lined up. So like, there's a lot of people um, in virtual production who were still buying the RTX um, 6000 even after the um, new 3080s and 3090s came out because they need that feature. Like without that, it's pointless. Right. Well, you can you can get by, but it's a lot more difficult because you mm -hmm. can't synchronize the rendering with the wall and the camera, and like it's like it's messy. Yeah. Um. So for those people, they can now finally get the A6000 and see the generational improvement that we saw on the um the consumer line. Yeah. So that's gonna so be huge. Before before we move on, I'm curious what. So say say I'm you know, I'm into this. What, what difference is this, is this going to make for me? Like on the day to day. So like if you're a virtual production person, mm -hmm. per se, yeah. Um, what this means realistically is that you can now push more stuff to your scene at a, any given time and still maintain your frame rate. Okay. In virtual production, especially if you need the quadro to sync everything together, you're not exceeding 30 FPS anyways. Sure. Because that's all your cameras going to capture. That's probably all your wall can refresh at anyways. Um, you're not going to exceed that, but that just means you can do that much more on screen at a time mm. and still maintain that frames per second. So like, uh, I, I, in my mind and, and as the, as the, uh, I suppose the audience, the, the kind of average Joe here, um, mm. I always keep, I always think of the Mandalorian. Yep. in these in these contexts so i you we, they'd be able to do more complicated backgrounds like there could yep. be like a mega battle or something going on mm -hmm. and not just a flat landscape basically but, yeah oh that's super cool okay yeah, you can okay. just do more stuff back there um it's been pretty cool to see watch what these people are doing um in developing all this stuff i was watching some guys working on real time like um lightsaber effects mm -hmm. Um, that is pretty crazy to me because on, so on the LED wall, you're talking about stuff that's just being displayed on a wall behind you, right? Which is great for stuff that's in the background. But if you're holding something and then that's now like in between the actor and the camera, it's not, you can't see the wall. It's not being Ooh. rendered on the wall. So it has to be rendered in XR. But then if you move that thing behind you, now it's being occluded by your body and has to like um, not render it because it's being hidden and like how do they figure that out? So 
people are figuring out these crazy things. That's the biggest limitation to the big LED walls yeah. is effects that happen in front of the actor or in between the actor and where the wall is. If wow. There's other geometry. Um, that seems that seems like a big deal. Yeah. Like so, I, what I what I'm understanding is that it, like it's almost it's almost real time like motion capture. Like if I'm wearing a mm-hmm. green a green morph suit, they could wrap me around with a costume, mm-hmm. yep. and and it would. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Wow. That's that is that's a big deal. I think that's that's huge. Yeah. So they have to develop all that kind of stuff and having this much more power means you can start to consider doing some of those effects in um, like real, real time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're probably, they're probably using separate computers for that anyways. Okay. In a virtual production, if you're doing a giant led wall scenario, there's probably like half dozen, at least computers all working mm-hmm. together to do different things. So there's probably like the computer that's running the background, running the led wall, and the computer that's running the foreground effects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they're being comped together real time somewhere down the line. Um, wow. Yeah. So yeah, this, the A6000 will just let people do more stuff right and on. still be able to maintain their visual. Um, Man. They I, want. I can see at some point it, it there won't, it, it'll all, it'll almost all be fake or, or digital you know like mm-hmm. or you won't have to you almost won't have to do practical effects at all yeah um i mean they keep they always say like that but if you compare practical effects to visual effects there's just something different about them yeah um i mean that'd be a great conversation to have with like the corridor guys oh sure um to have them talk about the choices to make in that um space hmm. Um, a lot of people in the virtual production world see these LED walls as like the end of green screen. Mm, okay. And like, I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. Um, I'm not as in the world as they are. So maybe they see more. Sure. But I just see there's so much other stuff where things need to be comped together. Things have to be rendered after the case, after the fact. But you can definitely do so much. It's so cool. Oh, right on. All right. What, um, what else we got? So then let's go to um offline rendering so not real-time rendering but the traditional um rendering that you would do um so i'm still kind of learning these software packages i only started these this week so um this is redshift um this is showing how long it took to render this scene Mm um so you see the Quadro RTX 6000 took 255 seconds, whereas the A6000 took 174 seconds. Wow. So that's a big chunk of yeah. time saved per frame. Um, well, I don't know how many frames this is. I need to look oh, into sure. the details of that. But yeah, you're. it's not a long render. So oh, um, I mean, you're saving, what, ju- a little over, or what, just about around a minute mm-hmm. for this render? That's. I mean, those add up. Yeah, and yeah, this I don't know if it's just a frame or if it's a few frames, but whatever it is, it's not very long. It's just long enough for us to get a result. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I would probably guess it's a single frame um, just from my experience with these renderers. 
Uh, so yeah, Redshift, you can see a huge improvement to go to the A6000 if you need a Quadro style card. Mm-hmm. Um, the offline renderers might do Quadro for, um, if you have a big server farm, if you do um, a render farm, or um, we're currently looking, don't know for sure if we can get four of these into a system or not. That'd Currently, cool. we can't do that with the 3080 because, or 3090, because it takes too much power. Mm-hmm. This, um, the A6000, only takes 300 watts, I think. I oh, can't nice. remember. Whereas the other ones are 325 or the 350. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, they we can't get them to work four of them in a system. Right. But this might be able to. Ooh, that'll be nice. Yeah. And especially um, because the quadro line traditionally uh, are almost always blowers, right? They don't yep. they don't do the funny fan setups and stuff, which goes a long way to stacking them into a machine. This one is a blower, like like fan opening on both sides of the card, yeah, like on top and bottom. So mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see when we do stack them what that does. Like, is they going to be fighting each other for air or or what? Mm. Um, it's a kind of... yes, Redshift looks really good. Um, Octane Bench, um, a really popular mm-hmm. renderer. Mm-hmm. See, this is a um, Octane Bench, they have a benchmark built into their, their renderer, yeah, and it gives you a score. So that's what we're looking at here is the score. So anyone can go download this, run Octane Bench, and then see what their score is and compare mm-hmm. it to these. Um, so yeah, the A6000 is well, like 80% faster. Yes. It's, yeah, it's a significant uh, bump in, in speed for this. That's great. Um, and then we see the same thing. What was that? Oh, so I, I've heard Octane uh, a lot in um, visual effects and stuff, like with Corridor yeah. and stuff. That's how they do... Um, well, I think that's their main one for their visual effects, if I recall correctly. But I it seems to be so. pretty popular in yeah, that, that is, space. Mm-hmm. It's is very popular for that space. Um, <clears throat> they moved to V-Ray. Yeah. V-Ray is used a lot in VFX, but also um, it seems to be very popular among um, like architecture, um, some of those other industries. Yeah. Um, V-Ray has two different scores that it gives that we can run. There's mm-hmm. a CUDA score, so only using the CUDA core is not using ray tracing at all. Okay. And there's a ray tracing score. So the CUDA score, we're approaching double the speed. Yeah. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. Which I find personally, so the all these renderers we're using, the benchmarks that are built into the software. Oh, okay. Um, Unreal is a benchmark that I've been developing myself. Mm-hmm. So this makes me feel good because this is about the same performance increase that we saw in Unreal. So I was like, okay, good. I'm doing it right. Oh, hey. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I saw, what, 80% faster in um, in rasterized, which is what this would be. Okay. Um, well, kind of, but not using the ray tracing cores anyways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're seeing... 80 90 percent speed increase yeah which is like it's, it's unbelievable and then ray tracing we are just shy of double yeah wow. um yeah so huge increases 
this one I actually have to run again because the the Quadro RTX four thousand scored higher than the RTX five thousand. I was gonna so, I was gonna comment yeah. on that. I wonder I wonder yeah. what that's about. Yeah, I need. Um, so all of these, and even the the CUDA score was close to the same. Um, all of these we run two passes on. When I was compiling the results, um, for some reason, the 4,000 only had one pass. So I just need to run it again to see if maybe something happened or or what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it should be. I mean, they're pretty Probably. close anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, the new A6000 finally out. I think they said it was out, like launched in December or something like that. Um, but it, we we're finally able to get our hands on one yeah. or two. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> we we're trying to get more, <laughs> and that's that's why there's a shortage, of course. Yes, because yep, we, we got our two. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to get two more so we can do four in the system. See if that can work. Yeah. Um, I think Don wants us to get eight so we can try and load up a server, but oh, I, don't, I don't know about that. Of course. <laughs> I'm like, Don, these are like five <laughs> grand each. Like, come on, call expensive to test. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the RTX A6000, I'm going to, I'm always going to be calling it Quadro. I don't know how to, I'm going to break myself of calling it Quadro. Yeah. Right. Um, definitely a huge, huge improvement. It'd be great yeah. for anyone doing, any kind of 3D work, whether it's real time or offline rendering. If you're using a Quadro and you need to stay on that the professional grade, then these are gonna be huge upgrade for you guys. Yeah, that's that's great. Once they're available. <clears throat> yeah, you just have to keep checking. We people always ask me this um, in the communities I take part in. Mm-hmm. We don't use the standard because we're a system integrator. We don't have we don't go to like eBay, not eBay. Uh, um, well, we don't go to eBay, <laughs> but we don't go to like Newegg, Amazon. Those are like last ditch. We have system integrator um, vendors. We get to go and, another step up. Right. Um, although sometimes a lot of like the graphics cards actually are going to Newegg first. Um, I don't know. I can't explain it. I don't know what that's going on anymore. I, I can I can kind of see where that why they would do that. Um, frankly, they just at least from Nvidia's angle, they they probably are just more interested in um, appeasing the general consumer. They know they know they have a guaranteed sale from a system integrator. They're we're yeah. going to be buying them no matter what. They they need to get the as many of them into the hands of the general public as possible. Yeah, yeah. So the A six thousands are out there. You just have to. See if you can find them, um, but yeah, they're they're great cards now. <laughs> yeah, right on. Is that it then? That's it for like like the benchmarking results. Okay, all right. Um, but yeah, if we want to talk any other game dev, three D yeah. work, whatever, yeah. uh, you want to ask questions? Sure. Uh, just some goofy stuff about. I'm a little curious just um, because you, you've kind of got your fingers into these, these spaces a little bit, obviously more than I do. Um, is this is for, not just from a raw performance point, but is this, do you find that um, the, 
either companies or individuals try to stay on the bleeding edge like this? Like, are, are they clamoring to try and get the, the, the best of the best always or that ranges from, um, place to place. Okay. Um, so in the, the virtual production world, for example, they are bleeding edge all the time, but the entire pipeline that they use is bleeding edge. Like they are making things up as they're going. They're constantly trying new, um, trackers to like track where things are in the actual volume, the camera, the actors, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, like everything, it's all like, there's not really like you go to a place and buy a setup to do virtual production. Okay. Everyone's still homebrewing it, putting it together, that kind of stuff. We're starting to see a lot more professional grade stuff coming out, but yeah, that entire industry is bleeding edge. Um, in game dev, a lot of the um, game dev is less bleeding edge okay. because it's not the performance of the developer that matters. It's the performance of the consumer. Right. So if you buy a 3090 and you're getting 30 frames per second as you're developing the game and you're maintaining that, who is going to buy your game that can maintain that performance? So, you know, like, um, so a lot of times they're like a step behind in what they're developing. Mm, okay. um, some of the bigger studios still want the newest card because they're they're developing now for a game that will be released in three years. Okay. So they were anticipating what a system would be like that far into the van. So they want to make sure their systems work good now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then other people like architecture, um, those people, it's about the stability of the system. They just want things to work. So they're not looking at um, raw performance necessarily. They're looking at some other factors. Okay. okay. It kind of varies from person to person. Sure. Sure. Um, hmm. I'm, I'm kind of, hoping, uh, let me see. I remember my short contract with ILM. They were, oh, here's a, just a comment, I suppose, from Leviathan Prime on Twitch. Uh, I remember my short contract with ILM. They were constantly changing out computers, not so much that it did something faster, but that it allowed them to create something they were previously unable to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something in the uh, VFX world that's kind of somewhat unique to them uh, is that it's not necessarily that like I can render this scene faster because sure. they can throw more like hardware at the rendering pipeline to get it done faster if they mm. need to. It's about allowing the artist to do more with their time. Um, that's something that uh, the guys at Corridor have talked about in the past that mm -hmm. with the systems that we've built for them is not necessarily that they can do like more of their films in right. a year. It's like they can make them look that much better. Um, so yeah, they look for bleeding edge for that reason. So they yeah. can just do more. They can make it look, look better. I've, I've noticed that in, in other spaces too, where like it's all well and good that I can render faster, but nobody's actually you know take nobody's just going to stay in in place right i'm not going to mm -hmm. do the same things i did two years ago quicker i'm just going to take that same hour and do something 
bigger, better, prettier. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Which, which is, it's kind of cool, uh, you know. But at the same time, I, I as a, I would, I would kind of want to take advantage of having work done faster, you know. Right. So, <laughs> and to similar degree on the game dev side, like when I was a developer, the performance of your computer is not necessarily like all the computers we're using were developing for Xbox at the time, mm-hmm. uh, Xbox 360 specifically. All of our computers were way faster than the Xbox was. And it wasn't because like what our target was, it was because it made sure that the computer wasn't getting in our way. Yeah. If we need to model out something that's millions and millions of triangles, and then we're going to then bake it down to a smaller thing um, and bake all the normal maps and all that kind of stuff. We want to make sure that the, the computer could handle that high res thing that the target computer the xbox is not going to need to do um so yeah it's making sure the artist can do their thing and kind of get the computer out of the way which is what puget likes to do we want the computer to get out of your way that's right this is a a little off topic i suppose but it's very interesting to me the the terminology like i'm i wonder where you say bake you bake the lighting or the normal maps and Mm -hmm. stuff and it's like it's there's not an oven. This isn't a loaf of bread. Like right. I wonder where some of these terms come from. Yeah. Um, that's one I've never, I just kind of was told and I was like, okay, cool. That's what it's yeah. called. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know you. Cause like the baking it, that's not like a button in the system. Like yeah. you set it up and you like render, you click the render button and it renders out your, <laughs> your map, your yeah. uh, normal maps. It yeah. doesn't say bake anything. So yeah. I just, um, it's just, I bet it has something to do with like, like probably old animation or like pottery somehow. I bet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Pottery um, might be good. Yeah. It was just funny. Uh, oh, yeah. Philippe, uh, Philippe NW on YouTube comments. Yeah. It saves you, saves you from having to optimize the first version of an idea before you can test it. Uh, just mm-hmm. throw raw muscle at it. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Oh, uh, man. I'm curious too about, um, Oh, I just lost it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, had, I had well. I'm, actually, I'm. What What do you find most interesting about the 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 industries that you look into? Um. So, my primary software package for the past year has been Unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, and just looking at that in itself. One of the most interesting things I found about that is how many different industries are using Unreal. Um, like, it started off as a game engine. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some, like, filmmakers started adopting game engines to be able to do, like, pre-visualization um, because you can get stuff in fast and kind of get it moving, get a look going. Yeah. Um, then it started being used with like, um, you'd see people like with an iPad or some kind of mobile screen that they're like, the director's like moving around in a, in a space to kind of like block out shots and stuff like that Mm -hmm. in 3d space, but they're not going to use it for the final thing. They're just like trying to get, it's a way to visualize everything. Okay. It kind of started with that. Then it's like, well, now the visual quality looks really good. We can do like a TV series out of this because TVs, you, TV series usually have a lower um, 
quality rendered to them. Sure. Um, oh, yeah. They're working on time constraints. They're trying to pump out so much every year. Right. Um, so they have a little bit lower and they're like, well, this is the same quality we we're doing there. So let's use this. And then started going to movies and then it's branched out into um, like uh, engineers are collaborating in it because you can have multiple users working on a scene at one time. They can be working in VR and looking at the actual like have a, a car that they're developing and they have the actual car sitting there. They're talking to each other in VR. They can like measure things out and they get a feel of what they're doing. Um, and then from that, automakers have now adopted Unreal and it's going to be running the UI for the new Hummer electric vehicle. Oh. GMC announced that their Unreal engine is powering the Dash entertainment system thing. The like it's just that will be cool. It just keeps going and going, and all these different things are using it, and I it's just, crazy to watch. I did just recently see uh, the next, I think the next like generation of Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, you could play The Witcher Three on it. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know that that's really a feature I care about in a car, but it's interesting, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it sounds crazy. But you also remember The Witcher 3 is available on the Switch. Right. So, like, it's not like you need a lot of power. <laughs> so, it sounds cool, but then maybe not that impressive. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. It just seems. Got to see what. Yeah. Are they. What. Uh, what settings are they using? Are they using uh, <laughs> Ultra? Are they. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's going to be a major selling point, but it's cool to, to know, I suppose. Mm hmm. Oh yeah, Leviathan Prime comments. I ha- I've used game engines to model out what something might look like for at Company X. It's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, game engines just um, by their nature are just very fast to work in, especially to get just something to see. Yeah, um, because you don't have to work, you don't have to render anything, and then you can like, if you're doing just basic models, basic textures, not doing a whole lot, you can have it running at a playable frame rate just real quickly. Mm-hmm. But if you were to do that in a traditional, even in Max or Maya, like you need to render it out and then it doesn't look, it takes longer and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, the gaming has been great for um, just iterating things. Yeah. That's why they're used for pre-visualization for so long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Yeah. Kind of uh, in a similar way that like animatics for 2d, Right, you, you mm-hmm. just kind of sketch out these weird kind of uh, almost flip book style, like it's real janky, but you kind of get the idea. Oh, a little unrelated, but interesting. Does uh, Philippe asks, uh, do, don't Tesla models have a ton of GPU muscle for uh, autopilot? I'm not sure. I uh, just, I'm not 100%, but I would think that the car itself doesn't. Um, they they would use a lot of GPU power to build the model like the 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 neural model for the autopilot but not real time you're not there's not eight gpus in your tesla real time crunching that data right yeah i don't know what they have in their um in the hardware but also you have to remember especially if it's um a custom chip Mm -hmm. that a lot of them will use um doesn't mean you can port a software package like a game to it easily or that that game will be able to run smoothly on it even if it has a lot of you know teraflop performance right 
it might not work great for a game engine. So um, it's starts getting into apples and oranges at some point. So I'm not sure what a Tesla has in it for raw power, but it's surprisingly a lot. I imagine, yeah. I mean, wow. Um, I'm, I'm, how how has the uh, Unreal benchmark been going for you? Um, it's been going good. It's kind of um, a lot of times I feel like I take you know step forward, two steps back type um, thing. Mm-hmm. I need to bring up, start doing my um, my blog posts again about kind of documenting some of the stuff, even though I'm having some setbacks. Mm-hmm. But I, I realized when I started testing the, um, what was it? The AMD 6900 XT. Um, that kind of illuminated some problems I had somewhat seen before. Yeah. But then I finally, with the 6900, like figured out what the problems were and what the limitations were I was experiencing and need to kind of redo some stuff. Um, Around the same time, Unreal was, had a new update come out that added new features. So, like, um, they have a new GPU light mass baking. Um, but before it was all light, we're all baked via the CPU. Now it can oh. be GPU. Um, has just crazy. It's, it's going to be helpful, right? Yeah, it's fast yeah. and it looks way better. So, like, it's it's not just that it runs on the GPU. It's a whole new like un, like framework underneath that's giving better results. Cool. Um, so I need to go back and develop that. So there was one scene in particular that I was using as a benchmark that was architectural visualization scene that um, the FPS in 4K is like two frames per second. Yeesh. And when I was running the 6900, um, because 6900 doesn't do great in ray tracing. Right. Um, it kept hitting two and a half FPS for um, no matter what resolution I was running it at. And like, this is, this is weird. And then um, anything below a 3080, all the previous generation um, NVIDIA was also hitting two and a half. I'm like, this is weird because like it's the software is set to run three minutes. Mm-hmm. Count how many frames were done in those three minutes, and then give me a FPS. Yeah, it's a pretty simple math. Sure. Um, so I was digging into it and realized that um, my how I was tracking the seconds was based off of when a frame was rendered. It would wait a second. So like if there was more than a second between a frame, it wouldn't count a second until the next frame started. So if it took two seconds to render a frame and then a thing started, it would be like, oh, it's only been a second. And so oh. all the math was off, but somehow it always ends up at two and a half frames per second. That's weird. Oh, so, yeah. I had to basically I have to dump that scene altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to transition that scene into a ray tracing, not ray tracing, a um, uh, rasterized scene with the new GPU light baker, because that's what I'm seeing a lot of virtual um, or uh, art viz people doing is just doing a light baked into the the scene because they don't need time of day changes. They don't have lights moving. They just like are panning around, uh, you know, like whatever building they're yeah. doing. Yeah. 
Um, so they're using that because it's they can get better frames per second, still look really good. So I'll use that for um, rasterized and then figure out how to time the GPU light baking using that scene. Because um, right now it doesn't, like when you hit start, it doesn't tell you when it's done. It's just, it's kind of over. And so I'm trying to figure out how to get some some calls in there and that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's oh. been some like setbacks in the thing. Some of the stuff that I've um, uh, found new ways to do. So instead of running it in the engine, I've actually been able to create a standalone executable for a level that I could essentially send to anyone. Yeah. They run it and it'll produce a text file that has your FPS for whatever resolution you're use using. That's um, cool. So yeah, that is a good step forward. Um, I have in the works a way to um, set the resolution before it runs so I can mm -hmm. have it like force it to run in a window that's 1080p mm -hmm. and then force it to run at a window that's 4k and nice. report different results. Um, so it needs some automation to be done outside of Unreal that will then launch these things in that resolution and report everything. And wow. um, so that could be really good. Um, but again, that will only give me performance, only FPS. Mm -hmm. I can't do that for importing models. I can't do that for um, compiling code and that kind of stuff that has to be done in the editor. So right. still need a way to automate the editor. Okay. But yeah, so there's been some nice improvements. There's been some setbacks and it just keeps going. It's the way it is. Yeah. Oh, Anyone I'm... that does software work knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've not to go off on a tangent, but when I was doing software, I, I remember distinctly working on a project. I've run it just before going to bed or whatever, like I'm done for the day. I've run it, make sure it does what I'm what I expect it to do. Save, go to bed, wake up the next day. Nothing has changed. Literally mm -hmm. nothing. I opened the project, try to run it again, make sure everything was like it was. It broke. Yep. So, yeah, yep. I feel you on some of that for sure. Um, I feel like I've asked this one before, but um, what, what, how do you decide what to test? I always feel like so much of the, some of these, or so much of development or creative pursuits and stuff uh, is so subjective. Like, mm -hmm. like people always talk like, oh, what if I use this brush in Photoshop? Like, or these sliders don't are janky. Like what informs your decision to test certain things? So I spend a lot of time going into various online communities, um, either Facebook groups, different forums, whatever, and just kind of seeing what people are talking about or asking them questions like, hey, what are the problems you're facing? What, um, if you're looking at new hardware, what is it that you're thinking of like, well, I need this to be faster or this to be smoother or whatever. Um, so I spent a lot of time in different communities. I've also gotten a lot of feedback on previous articles saying, mm -hmm. hey, why don't you add this or whatever. Um, on one of my Unreal articles, someone gave me some good information on like, Hey, can you add importing meshes and then also creating um, an LOD, which is a level of detail, mm -hmm. um, and a what was the other one? I think it had. You wanted me to test um, 
creating a collision mesh around it. Mm. Um, so those are things that like Unreal can do for you or you can do manually. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, feedback from the community is the main thing of like, hey, this is a problem I have. How can I make it better? Yeah. So that goes for those folks out there. Uh, mm -hmm. You you out there have uh, an effect on the future of benchmarking. So let, yep. don't don't uh, suffer in silence. Right? Yeah. Get Just let us know on Twitter or, or or articles or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty cool. Um, what I guess on a similar tangent, what are some of uh, you kind of touched on it a second ago? But what are some of your pain points in testing and and diving into these sort of things? Um, for me, um, figuring out, so it's easy to be like, okay, this task takes a long time, mm -hmm. right? Um, like, um, let's see, what's a good example? Um, say if I was going to like render out a 60 second movie using Unreal's render movie queue that they have. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so Unreal doesn't give you a, um, this was completed in X number of time. Huh. It's just like started and then it tells you when it's done. Oh. And so I have to then figure out a way to like accurately determine when it was started and when it was finished and give me the time mm -hmm. without sitting there with a stopwatch. <laughs> I want to be able to like, the goal is that we can have this all automated so we can be like, okay, run these set of benchmarks over overnight and then it'll give us results. Yeah. Um, so yeah, trying to figure out how to then capture the start and finish of a, of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, for Unreal, I've been able to get some of that done using their own internal uh, scripting. They're, um, they call blueprints. Mm -hmm. um, and they'll find a way to fake some of that stuff. Not all of it can be done that way. That's where I'm struggling with the um, the light mass baking right now, because um, it doesn't tell me when it's done. It's just hmm. well, it, it says when it's done, but I don't know like what time it finished, yeah. what time it started. Hmm. Um, it does generate a log of everything you do in Unreal. Okay, like. It's kind of crazy when you have Unreal open and you're clicking on things, it's reporting a log of pretty much everything that happens into a text file oh. for the entire time you had that open. Um, it's just written out in this weird string of text. And so I'm trying to figure out how to like see where that is, then find the timestamp that's in the middle of the string, not at the beginning of the string or whatever, and be able to pull the information I need to then put it all together. Yeah, yeah, and it Ooh. takes a lot of uh, programming speciality that I don't have yet. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, it out. yeah, that's got to be kind of cool. What What are you? Um, you said you mentioned like some of it is is built into Unreal. What What is outside of Unreal that you're using? Uh, like Autobit. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, 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 that's the main thing right now. Um, Autobit doesn't like Unreal too much. Um, Autobit doesn't like. A lot of programs. If <laughs> so, Ottawa is based off of basically it needs Windows. Windows mm -hmm. has its own ability to like draw a window right. and display a, a text button and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. 
So if the program is using the Windows calls and all that kind of stuff, Autowit sees that stuff really easily and can mm -hmm. be like, as a as a listener program, you can then like click on a window and it's like, oh yeah, this window is titled this and it has these buttons and it can like read all the buttons and you can say, okay, then I want it to click this button. Um, Unreal, like Autowit doesn't see anything that's happening in Unreal. It can see oh. the window that there is a window. It doesn't report any of the text that's in the window. It doesn't report any of the buttons that are in the window. Um, so that doesn't work for that. It's because it's um, like a chromium thing or something, right? Could be. Yeah, I'm not sure what it's based out of. Okay. But um, yeah, it's not reporting it um, the way it did when I was doing Max and Maya. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit Weird. difficult. Huh. I wonder but how right now I'm working on just like getting everything down into a like a very specified workflow that I can like a document that says, okay, click this button, then click this button, and then your result will show up here. Yeah. And then do the next test and all that kind of stuff. So that way, if I didn't run it, anyone else could basically open up my document and just go through the steps. Yeah. And then potentially someone else in the company or we contract someone that can like do the programming using C++ or whatever, JavaScript. I don't know what they would want to use. Um, but someone with more knowledge could do something beyond just to auto it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hmm. What are some of the more difficult things um, in specifically in an unreal workflow? Like um, I suppose it might be different depending on what you're using unreal for. Mm -hmm. So I suppose let's, let's just start with, um, Let's say virtual production. Okay. So, what's your question? Like, what are what are some of the things that hang up, uh, or what are some of the more difficult tasks in in that sort of a workflow? So, actually, in virtual production, the biggest hang up people have, the biggest difficulty they have with Unreal, is outside of the computer. Oh, <laughs> it's getting um, <laughs> your motion trackers, your cameras, all that kind of stuff to then talk to unreal and like share data correctly and like making everything work together. Well, mm -hmm. um, that's the, the most difficult thing that people are having difficult time. People are having is just there's so many different trackers out there that you have to get these different plugins to then work with this or use this other software that's running in the background that will then feed data into unreal and, um, their own plugins for um, SDI cameras like Blackmagic or um, I forget the other, there's a couple other companies, but um, they have, so if you have an SDI capture card, you plug your camera into that and then Unreal can then talk directly with that. Mm -hmm. um, but then some of the three trackers are a little bit harder. Ironically, the Vive is the like easiest to get working because <laughs> um, it's it's developed for games so it's supported in the engine and mm. um, it doesn't have the greatest accuracy um, it can be a little jittery but it'll work and it's easy to get set up so that's the that's like the go-to for someone that wants to try it out is to get a vive because it just like if you have a vive plugged in and it's all installed and you launch Unreal, 
it launches the Vive software automatically. It's, oh. it's already there. And then you just have to then use a little um, blueprints to get the tracker to work. Hmm. Um, but if you want to use the professional grade tracking systems, those are all yeah different. Do you think do you think um Epic would would like fork off a different sort of engine for virtual production specifically? Maybe. Um actually, no, I don't know. So I said maybe because in the um uh architecture side, mm -hmm. there's also oh shoot, is it twin motion, I think? It's basically a standalone architecture using Unreal Engine. Oh, okay. Um, but I'm pretty sure that was something that they bought from someone else and kind of integrated. And um, from what I'm seeing, it feels like they're trying to push that all into a one, like try to integrate it back into Unreal and just use oh. Unreal. Okay. Um, but it offered some like nice um uh like presets for architecture you could easier to like switch materials around and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff mm -hmm. um on the other hand um matt workman is mm -hmm. developing a software that will basically be that for virtual production okay um no oh, now i forgot the name of it um but He's basically creating a software package that's designed for virtual production using Unreal Engine, but it has like shortcuts for setting up cameras and getting all that stuff working. Nice. So maybe, but they also might just rely on those kind of external things that take advantage of Unreal. So I don't know. Okay. We do have a question from YouTube. Modern Scholar asks, mm -hmm. how does one add assets or create them for Unreal? Uh, Pretty much all of it is made in a 3D package, such as 3ds Max, Maya, Blender. Um, you'll make the models there. Um, there's some other packages you could use too, but those are the primary ones. You would do it there and then import. It's a pretty simple import process now. It's all nice. been refined pretty easily, um, pretty nicely over the past several years. Um, used to be a huge pain to import assets. And now they even have a... Um, working on a plugin called LiveLink. Um, so basically, it will allow Unreal and your 3D package to share uh, a 3D object. Cool. So it'll basically use the same uh, memory in your system memory. It's the mm -hmm. same object as in that memory. So it's a direct, if you edit one, it automatically edits in the other one. So it's just constantly updating. Nice. Um, which also saves overhead on your system. Instead of if you have a, a model that's, you know, six gigabytes or something, you don't have to <laughs> own it twice into RAM. Oh. It just sits in there one time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, three package, then just import it. Just off as an aside, is Rhino 3D still a thing? It's still out there, I think. Okay. I remember that was kind of the big one when I was a, like a freshman in high school or something. They, yeah. They taught us that in my... I did a drafting class and that was part okay. Of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um Daz was another one that was like for characters or poser. Oh, um okay. 
that still kind of exists. It's not like it used to be anymore. It's just basically to generate background characters for architecture huh. programs. But yeah, I think Rhino still exists. It's just I I remember it being like the more popular one, and but Maya was like a uh an afterthought at the time, or it seemed that way. I think I Rhino know. came in at like really cheap. Ah. Whereas at the time Maya was like thousands of dollars, what so still is, right. but um, <laughs> like tens of thousands of dollars back then. Yeah. And Rhino was like a couple hundred bucks or something. Hmm. Um, that's how a lot of them went. But then Maya has become cheaper, more accessible, and Unity has taken over, yeah. or Blender has taken over a lot mm -hmm. of the lower end modeling packages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, that's an interesting. You mentioned Unity. Is that anything that we like? Where does that stand in in this at all? Is that? I've been keeping my eye on them. Um, they are pretty big in game dev, mm -hmm. um, which is an area that we want to try to look into more. Um, they don't have quite the reach into other industries other than game dev mm -hmm. um so it just lets has less um versatility for our customers um i just watched uh um a real-time rendering or ray trace rendering um workshop that nvidia hosted for unity um oh, that was nice to like go over some of that stuff and um it looks really good it's doing like Doing some pretty impressive stuff, but it is still just a little bit behind Unreal. Um, I don't know anyone that's using it in virtual production. Mm. Um, even architecture visualization is not really that big of a thing. Mm. Um, but in game dev, especially indie games, all that kind of stuff, it's pretty popular. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen any of the like plugins to be able to synchronize like LED walls or any of that kind of stuff. Not really yet. Oh, wow. So hmm. um, I would, we would want to, it's kind of on the, on the radar. We're keeping an eye on it. Um, we do have a unity recommended system in mm -hmm. our, in our portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, but it's mainly just kind of maintaining it as like, we know what a game developer needs as far yeah. as like code compiling takes multiple cores and all sure. that kind of stuff. So kind of maybe eventually. All right. Now. Uh, I guess so. We've just got maybe a minute or two left. I'm curious, as if say, and this is going to be pure game dev question. Mm -hmm. As as a beginner, like say, which say somebody like myself, uh, wants to get into, I want to make my own little goofy Flappy Bird or or not something a little more complicated. I want to make a cool game. Um, the hardware considerations. Where should I start? If you're doing, um, especially if you want to do mobile. Your hardware considerations are actually pretty wide open. Like it doesn't take a lot to do a game. Um, like even if you want to do, say you want to do the next Among Us, like yeah. you want to do something like that, it doesn't take much. Okay, you're not going to need a lot of horsepower. Um, code compiling is going to be your biggest um, drawback. Okay, um, that's something you're not going to do. Too often, if you're doing it in Visual Studio, like kind of stuff, a lot of times it's kind of iterative. So, like, 
if you've built the code and you want to do some more, then you don't have to like recompile the entire thing. Sure. So it kind of helps you save some time. Um, and then graphics, it just depends on how impressive you want the graphics to look if you need to do a whole lot. But you can make some pretty great games without using crazy hardware. Um, so yeah, I would highly recommend if you're if anyone out there is interested in like dipping a toe, doing a little something. I actually have a a blog post on our website that um, it was created at the beginning of the pandemic. Everyone's getting stuck at home, and it was a a blog post about um, different game engines or different things you can do with kids to like get them interested in introduced to coding and developing and all that kind of stuff. But it goes all the way from like really like five-year-olds learning code all the way up to, you know, high schoolers or adults wanting to learn Unreal and getting um, a higher end game developing experience. But there's all kinds of free or cheap engines out there that you can get like game maker or unity unreal uh, i forget some of the other ones i had in the article um but yeah there's a lot out there um to to get your feet wet into different types and i suggest doing some research like yeah. if you know you want to do a 2d side scroller mm -hmm. you can do that in a unity or unreal but there's also some other engines that might be a little bit easier sure um so yeah, just do some research. There's some there's definitely options out there. It's the bar to enter into creating your own game is fairly low. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, there's been some. I mean, there's been some pretty amazing things done by like solo devs. I mean, mm -hmm. look at things like um, I think Firewatch was was one person. Um, Stardew Valley, I know for sure, was one one person. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Phasmophobia yes. is one one guy. Oh, or that's cool. Guys. Yeah. Wow. I had, a, had a friend. I have a friend that um, makes games for. Well, he. I met him. He was a developer when I was at Xbox. I was the QA lead for his game, oh, and uh, we've become friends since then. And like, he's made five or six games now that have been released on Xbox or PlayStation all by himself. Um, yeah, you can you can get in there. Nice, cool. And he created his own engine, so he doesn't count. He's crazy. <laughs> he doesn't count. Uh, still, that's that's pretty impressive too. So, yeah. um, but uh, okay. Well, I guess uh, that does bring us to a little over our hour. So uh, we'll we'll say we'll wrap it up here, I suppose. Right. Um, so thanks you, thank you, Kelly. Is there anything, any last little words of advice or or anything you want to shout out or or mention to the public at large or the people who might be listening in the future? Um, no words of advice. Um stay help, happy out there it's tough <laughs> um but if you want to see more of um game dev benchmarks um any of that kind of stuff please reach out i'm looking for any information i'm reaching out to other communities as well so if anyone out there wants to be like hey can you look at this can you investigate this aspect of of a uh, game development please let me know and i'll add it to my list huh? And I, I posted uh, at least your handle on Twitter there yeah, in that the works. chat for everybody. So it's, and just in case anybody's just listening, it's at KW Shipman. Shipman. 
yeah uh all right so then i, I guess we'll say goodbye thank you kelly for taking time out of your day um yeah. and sharing all this with us i'm i'm excited to see the future of of both game dev and and in particular video production or virtual production rather mm-hmm. um there's i feel like we're right on the cusp of some really really cool things yeah and it's it's going to be mind-blowing so thank you yep. very much and uh i would like to thank the audience as well for joining us today for our labs open office hour we do this sort of thing uh every wednesday and friday at 1 p.m pacific wednesdays we bring in outside experts to talk about their workflow tips tricks and advice for that sort of thing and then uh fridays we bring in our our experts to kind of give a give a rundown of anything new in our uh, sort of fields of view, uh, the whatever uh, softwares they're experts in, the crossover there of the hardware and software, and also to answer questions from you guys. So uh, be sure to mark your calendars for that. Wednesdays, Fridays, 1 p.m. Pacific, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. See y'all. <laughs>